Chapter twenty of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventy sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee, Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part three, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter twenty. London from April till September, eighteen twenty two. Distress, unexpected aid lodging overlooking a cemetery new comrades in misfortune our pleasures my cousin de la boetardie the story of my adventure amused angle and we formed a plan of being shut up in the abbey but our miseries called us to the abode of death in a less poetical manner my funds were exhausted bailis and de boff having received a security for reimbursement in case of loss had ventured to commence the printing of the essay at this point their generosity ended and nothing was more natural than that it should I am even surprised at their boldness. Translations were no longer forthcoming, for Pelletier, who was a man of pleasure, became tired of continuous kindness. He would have given me what he had, had he not preferred laying it out on his own appetites. But to seek for opportunities of labour here and there, and patiently to follow up any good work, was to him impossible. Angon also saw his means, melting away daily. Sixty francs constituted the whole resources of both. We lessened our rations, as is done in a ship, when the voyage is unexpectedly prolonged. Instead of dining at a shilling a head, we only spent half that sum. At our breakfast we retrenched the half of our bread, and dispensed altogether with butter. This kind of abstinence affected my friend's nerves. His mind wandered. He listened, appeared as if he heard someone. In reply he burst out into laughter, or shed tears. Agant was a believer in animal magnetism, and his brains were full of the reveries of Swedenborg, he told me in the morning that there had been great noises about him during the night, and was annoyed if I threw any doubt upon his fancies. The anxiety which he caused me prevented me from feeling my own sufferings. These sufferings were, however, great. A very meagre diet and continuous labour increased the pain in my chest. I began to feel difficulty in walking, and yet I spent the whole of the day and a part of the night out of doors, in order that no one might be aware of my destitution. When we came to our last shilling, I agreed with my friend to keep it, in order to make a show of breakfasting. We arranged that we would buy a tuppenny loaf, that we should have the breakfast things laid as usual, the hot water brought up, and the tea caddy set on the table, that we would not put in any tea, and not eat any bread, but merely drink some water flavoured by a few crumbs of sugar remaining at the bottom of the basin. Five days passed away in this manner. I was devoured by hunger, felt on fire, and sleep had forsaken me. I was accustomed to suck pieces of linen dipped in water, and to chew grass and paper. On passing by a baker's shop the torment was horrible. On a coarse winter's evening I have remained as long as two hours, standing before a grocer's shop or Italian warehouse, devouring with my eyes everything I saw. I would have eaten not merely the eatables, but the boxes, bags, or baskets which contained them. On the morning of the fifth day, ready to drop down from inanition, I dragged myself along to Angon's lodging. I knocked at his door, which remained shut, and called, without for some time receiving any reply. At length, Angon rose and opened the door. He smiled with a wandering air. His coat was closed buttoned up. He sat down at the breakfast-table. "'Our breakfast is just coming,' said he, with an extraordinary voice. I thought I saw some drops of blood on his shirt, and proceeded quickly to unbutton his coat. He had inflicted a wound two inches deep on his left breast with a penknife. I called for help, and the maid-servant ran to fetch a surgeon the wound proved dangerous. This new misfortune obliged me to interfere. Angon, a council of the Parliament of Brittany, had refused to receive the allowance granted by the English government to French magistrates, just as I also had refused to accept the shilling a day 
doled out as alms to the emigres i wrote to m de barentin and made him acquainted with my friend's condition Angon's relations hastened to his aid and removed him to the country at this very time my uncle de bedet sent me a hundred and twenty francs an affecting remembrance for my persecuted family i felt as if i had before me all the gold of peru the might of the prisoners of france supported the french exile my miseries interrupted my work and as i sent no more copy the printing was suspended deprived of Angon's company i no longer kept my lodging at a guinea a month at bailis's i paid for the time expired and went elsewhere below the indigent emigres who had at first acted as patrons to me in london there were others more needy still there are degrees in poverty as well as in riches one may go from the man who in winter keeps himself warm with his dog down to him who shivers in patch rags my friends found me a lodging better suited to my decreasing means and installed me in a garret in marylebone street the small window of which opened on a burying ground every night at the watchman's rattle gave notice of the approach of persons engaged in stealing the bodies of the dead i had the consolation of knowing that angon was out of danger my comrades came to visit me in my workshop for my independence and our poverty we might have been taken for painters seated on the ruins of rome we were artists in misery on the ruins of france my figure served as a model and my bed as a seat for my pupils this bed consisted of a mattress and coverlid i had no sheets when it was cold my coat and a chair added to my covering kept me warm too weak to make my bed it remained as god had made it for me my cousin la boetardet driven out of an irish lodging-house for non-payment although he had pledged his violin for the purpose came to seek at my humble lodging a shelter from the constable a barbreton vicar lent him a mat for a bed la boetardet as well as angon was a council of parliament in brittany and yet he did not possess a pocket-handkerchief to tie round his head but he had deserted with arms and baggage that is he had carried away his square cap and red cloak and now he lay under the purple at my side being witty and a good musician with a fine voice when we failed to fall asleep he sat up quite naked upon his mat sung ballads and accompanied himself on a guitar which had only three strings one night when the poor fellow was warbling forth metastasio's hymn to venus shandy propitia he was exposed to a draught his mouth was turned and he died but not immediately, for I rubbed his cheeks with all my might. We were accustomed to take counsel together in our lofty chamber to discuss politics, and to talk over all the noisy complaints of the emigres. In the evenings we went to join the dance at the lodgings of our aunts or cousins, after their dressmaking was over, or the hats finished. End of chapter 20